Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, ABC, CNN, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, a lot of other shows. And uh, she did her own 90-minute PBS special last year called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Good evening, Mari. Good evening, Lloyd. Well, you know, you never know what you're going to find on the Internet. I ended up finding a very interesting letter from our guest tonight. The letter was written in 2005, but it was excellent. It was talking about background checks. And I thought this is such an important thing to talk about while we're sitting on the campus of the University of California, Irvine, where people are looking for jobs and we have businesses driving by and they're worried about who they're hiring. So this is such an appropriate thing to talk about, especially with regard to privacy. And I just finished reading a great book by our guest. It's called The Safe Hiring Manual by Lester S. Rosen. Let me tell you a little bit about his background. Lester is an attorney at law and president of Employment Screening Resources, where you can go to his website at esrcheck.com. This is a national background screening company, which is located here in California. And as I said, he is the author of the Safe Hiring Manual, the complete guide to keeping criminals, imposters, and terrorists out of your workplace. It is the first comprehensive book on employment screening, and he's also authored the Safe Hiring Audit. In addition, he's produced a DVD training showing a negligent hiring mock trial and has produced an online 20-hour training course in the area of safe hiring and background checks. So you can actually find out more about that at backgroundchecktraining.com. Lester Rosen is formerly a deputy district attorney and criminal defense attorney, and he's taught criminal law and procedure at the University of California Hastings College of Law. His jury trials have included murder, death penalty, and federal cases, and he was the chairperson of the steering committee that founded the National Association of Professional Background Screeners, which is a professional trade organization for the screening industry and it now has over 500 members. So he has a terrific background as a lawyer and someone who's very experienced in the background checking field, and he knows what he's talking about. I looked at this book, and I think that this book, The Safe Hiring Manual, is really helpful not only as an employer, which I am, to look at, but also for anyone who is looking to be employed so they know what their rights and their obligations are, and they know what employers are looking for. So I want to thank Lester for joining us. Lester, how are you this evening? Well, thank you very much. It's a very it's a great pleasure to be with you this evening. Let's talk about why pre-employment screening is so important nowadays and, and why it's of such concern to employers. It's really become uh, a part of uh, what employers have to think about as mission critical for hiring, particularly in this day and age. Post 9-11, there's a great deal of interest in background screening, background screening for guns, background screening at airports. At the same time, there's been 
well-publicized episodes of workplace violence where a uh, background check may have revealed that a, a person should not, uh, it may not have been a good job for that person. Uh, there's been multi-million dollar verdicts for negligent hiring. There's been verdicts for apartment owners giving keys to felons who had access to apartments. Uh, there's been stories of child molestations and, uh, and other horrible things that have occurred uh, within organizations that uh, didn't really check uh, who they were hiring or putting in touch with children. And all of these have coalesced over the past few years to really uh, impress upon employers the, the need to uh, be concerned about uh, who they're hiring and to make sure they're not hiring someone who is unsafe, unqualified, dishonest, or, or otherwise unfit for the job. And there's also the fact that lawsuits for negligent hiring are among the uh, fastest-growing type of lit- uh, litigations uh, we're seeing these days. So putting it all together... Uh, there's been a real shift in the minds of employers and human resources where background checks have now become a, a, just a, a practical a, a part of the, uh, or, or a mandatory part, I should say, of the hiring process. I know, even as a privacy advocate, and I know even the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse suggests that employers do background checks, and we worry even about identity theft. There have been many employers who've come to me who found out that the people that they were hiring were not the people that they said they were. So you're right. There's so many reasons nowadays to do a background check, but we also need to protect the rights and the privacy of those who are being checked up. So let's talk about what exactly are employers looking for when they request a background check? Well, keep in mind that background checks, first of all, are heavily legally regulated. So they only occur with the specific authorization and consent of the uh, applicant. Uh, the applicant is given a disclosure, so the applicant knows what the employer is looking for. There's no, nothing secret. And, and essentially what the employer is looking at are things that a person has done in their public life, their, their public integrity, where you went to work, where you went to school, if you committed a crime, how you drove, all these sorts of things that might be part of a background check, are all things that people really have done in the public sphere where everyone can see. Uh, it's not a background check to not involve looking at someone's personal life, what books they read, who they associate with, where they live, that sort of thing. Uh, so in that regard, the pendulum has really swung a great deal in favor of the applicant. Uh, particularly in view of a federal law called the Fair Credit Reporting Act that really spells out what employers can and cannot do in order to make the process balanced and fair for both employers and uh, and job applicants. Well, let's talk a little bit about your rights under the Fair Credit Reporting Act and, and the obligations of a potential employer. Let's Let's kind of give that overview, and then we can talk about in California how it's a little bit different. Would you mind doing that? Oh, sure. Well, the background screening is regulated on a federal level by the Fair Credit Reporting Act, and of course there's there's 50 states, and and here in what we often refer to as the Independent Republic of California, there's there's additional laws stemming from some legislation in 2002. So essentially, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, a little misnamed because it uses the word credit, it really refers to any type of uh, background investigation. Uh, undertaken by an employer. Now, a background investigation can include a credit report, and and I should add that of all the background tools that are available, the credit report is the one that probably comes the closest to invading a sense of personal privacy. But under federal law, if an employer is calling past employers, uh, confirming uh, education, uh, looking at criminal records, uh, trying to discover whether someone's a registered sex offender and so forth, uh, an employer, first of all, has to go, they either do it in-house or they can hire a background firm. Now, if they do it in-house uh, under California law, which is unique in the nation, there, there are some obligations on the employer. Most employers, however, outsource that type of task to a firm that specializes in it because there's so many specialized skills and resources and, and, and a certain amount of legal knowledge you need. So the first thing an employer has to do is certify to the background firm that they will follow the Fair Credit Reporting Act, and they will not use any information in a in, in violation of any federal or state discrimination laws. Uh, the second aspect of the Fair Credit Reporting Act that's very important for consumers to know, as well as employers, uh, is that nothing happens secretly. There has to be a signed authorization. 
there has to be a standalone disclosure. It can't be a disclosure hidden as part of an eight-page application. Congress specifically said a, a standalone document all by itself, so there is no question uh, to a consumer as to the fact that a background check will occur and, and the sort of things that are being looked at. Uh, the other important aspect, uh, as far as a consumer is concerned, uh, is something called pre-adverse and post-adverse action notices. And this is very important. And what this says is that if uh, a background check is used in whole or in part, even if there's just one small part of it, even if the employer had other reasons uh, to deny a person a job or a promotion or not to retain somebody, uh, that consumer is entitled to get a copy of that report ahead of time in order to ensure there's nothing in the report that's incorrect or incomplete. And the employers are an employer is well advised to give the consumer enough time to review the background report, reflect upon it, and react to it uh, before making the final decision. And then, by the way, the, the and consumer is also entitled to a statement called a notice of your rights that was prepared by the Federal Trade Commission. Um, then that gives the applicant the opportunity to say, hey, this is a mistake, or I was a victim of identity theft, or there's an error here. Um, we don't see too many of those, but given the fact that criminal identity theft is on the rise and the amount of records that are looked at in order to get to a background report result, uh, there is a possibility of a mistake. And uh, that's a, it's an escape valve or a safety net for a consumer to make sure that they are not unfairly the subject of discrimination. And this is, again, assuming that a background firm is doing the investigation. And then finally, if the consumer hasn't objected or if the consumer has objected, but a reinvestigation still shows that this derogatory information or this negative information has been validated, the consumer is entitled to a second letter. So the consumer has all those layers of protection as to the report, and not even to mention the equal employment opportunity aspect of the use of criminal records, which is another layer of protection that, uh, that consumers have. You know, I, I think that it is so important that, that employers hear this because I know that many employers are not really even aware that they must do this. And you had in your book, The Safe Hiring Manual, and that again is by Lester S. Rosen. He had in his book one of my clients, Scott Lewis, who came to me when he was laid off from a job that he had very good uh, recommendations and he was applying for jobs. This was in Ohio. And he kept getting rejected. He'd get to the last stage and he'd authorize a background check. And then he never knew why they were rejecting him. Finally, he he was just at his wit's end. And this is not when the employment was so difficult to get. And he called me because he found out that when he called one of the um, um, potential employers and they told him, we cannot hire you, you know, you're an unscrupulous character, and we, we just can't have anything to do with you. And he was in shock, and he hadn't seen his background check. And I told him to get the background check, and sure enough, what does appear on it? But it appeared that he was um, actually arrested for murder. <laughs> and um, that was a shock to him, because what ended up happening after Lots and lots of research. We found out that the court records were wrong because some when the real person with his uh, actually didn't even have the same name, but when the real person who was the murderer uh, was arrested by mistake, they took him in in the intake. They put Scott Lewis's social security number um, instead of the perpetrator's. Social security number. In other words, the social security number was really the telephone number of the murderer. And that's what ended up happening. And Scott did not find out about this until he was already rejected from so many jobs. And that is a real problem because none of those employers even let him see the background check. And so that was in violation of the law, wasn't it, Lester? Well, and without commenting on a particular case, as I recall that case, there was an element of employers performing do-it-yourself background checks. So, Some of them. Yeah, so in Ohio at the time, they were going to a system 
where they can get raw data, and of course that raw data is incorrect. And that underscores a couple points. Number one, for employers to get the best protection, uh, you may want to consider using a background firm as opposed to doing it yourself in-house to avoid those type of mistakes. But certainly, um, in the hiring process, if there is a negative report, this idea of pre-adverse action is critical. Otherwise, a person can be secretly blacklisted and, and never know it, as in the case of Mr. Lewis, and that led to changes in California law as well in 2002. So it, it's, it's really important, I think, for employers to understand uh, that these background checks uh, of an applicant um, could have real devastating effects on real people uh, unless the applicant has the opportunity to to review the report, reflect on it, and react to it in order to clear up any mistakes. And we do see, even now, um, cases similar to Mr. Lewis, where uh, through a background report, an applicant will find out for the first time that they were the victim of criminal identity theft. Now, uh, we've had cases in our own office, for example, where a person's identity was stolen and the thief committed a crime using the identity of the victim. Right. And the first time the victim finds out about it is through one of our background reports, in which case we, of course, help the victim navigate the maze of resources and recourses that are available to identity theft victims. So it's really important to understand that when we're doing background checks, there's no perfect source of information. There's no magic website. Uh, called www.shouldihirethispersonornot.com right. where you put in the person's name and social and you get a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Uh, even the FBI database, the National Crime Information Center, the NCIC is not perfect. That's basically we commonly refer to as a rap sheet. In California, we, we call it live scan. People can, uh, certain agencies and banks and schools, if they're authorized, can send people down to the police station and fingerprints are taken, and even the FBI database is, is full of holes and uh, far from perfect, because that database depends upon states and other agencies reporting to it. So they're, they're, they're in the nature of the, of the way data is kept in America, there is the possibility of error, as in Mr. Lewis's case. So it's very important for job applicants and consumers to realize that it, that, this, that the process of a background check is not just any one thing. It's a series of overlapping processes, and it's critical for consumers, for example, uh, to be aware of what's being said about them. Yes. Uh, so they can preempt any type of uh, allegations that they, that, that they may run across and to warn employers. And it's critical for employers to understand uh, that there are sources of errors in background checks. So if something comes back that's negative or derogatory, do not jump to the conclusion automatically that you have a bad person or a liar or, or someone who's unfit or, or unsafe. Uh, check it out and let the person know what's being said about them so the record can be clarified. And, and, and often, for many cases for employers, quite frankly, there's a practical aspect to that. By the time the employer orders a background check, through a background company, the hiring process is pretty far along. That means some hiring manager or some recruiter has filtered through lots of candidates to find the candidate they want. And if that candidate comes back negative, a lot of time and money has already been invested. So there's an economic incentive for employers who use background firms uh, to check it out before making a final decision. And also employers should be aware that there are plaintiff's lawyers who are now very familiar with the Fair Credit Reporting Act, and employment, plaintiff's employment lawyers uh, uh, will commonly look at that any time that there's an issue uh, brought to their attention. Were the appropriate notices given? Uh, was there a notice of adverse action? So it's really important for employers to understand how that works. It's, in fact, it's very simple, and, and a good background firm will handle that process for the employer, but in order to respect the people's privacy and people's rights and to to make sure the process works, it's very important for employers to, to make sure they understand the adverse action procedures. You know, in California, you can ask that, uh, you can check the box from your employer when they want to get a background check, that you want to be able to get a copy of that report. Absolutely. California joined Oklahoma and Minnesota as a, 
one of three states where it's very easy for an applicant to check that box and have the report sent to them automatically within, I think it's now three business days. Now, even in the other 47 states, the applicant is entitled to the report. Um, obviously, you're entitled to the report if there's something adverse or derogatory because you would get the report as part of an adverse action notification. But even if your report is perfectly clean, there's nothing uh, in it that's a red flag, but you just want to see it because it's, it's your right. It's about you. You sign the consent. You have the right to see it. There's no secret about it. Um, even in the other 47 states, you're allowed to get it, although the background firm can't. They choose to charge you a, a small administrative fee, which is set by the government. But it's certainly right. In California, you check the box, and you should expect... Uh, your completed background report will make its way to you in the mail uh, at the address that you gave. And and that's so important. So if you're a student listening to this and you're applying for a job that they want a background check, always mark that box so that you will get a copy. Because I have to tell you, even though, Les, you were talking about what the obligations of employers, uh, what, what those obligations are, I can tell you that many employers are reluctant to confront someone that they think might have been a murderer. And so they might just say something like, well, there's somebody else was more qualified. They may not give it to you. So it's important that you get a copy because if you're a victim of identity theft, you may not know it. They may not tell you even though, even though they have a legal obligation to do that. And I think the the greatest thing to do is to have an outside background check company do this for you so that you will make sure that you do follow the law. I remember a case, and you may know about this case yourself, Les, that, and I won't say which um, uh, securities firm it was, but a gentleman who had worked for the securities firm for many years wanted to be promoted. And so they wanted to do a background check and they did. And when they did the background check, they found criminal uh uh, arrests and convictions, etc., and they fired him on the spot. And he said, "That isn't me. That isn't me." They didn't believe him, and he ended up in a lawsuit against them, and he won. So it's very important that if you do have someone that tells you that they've seen the background check, it's not them. Uh, you need to take some action because it possibly could be identity theft, and give them a chance. Absolutely. In fact, under federal law, a background screening firm is known as a consumer reporting agency. And under federal law, there is an obligation, it's a, a federally imposed legal obligation on a background firm to conduct a reinvestigation. And there's a number of, of steps that are, are detailed in the law that a, a background firm has to undergo. Um, they have to let the consumer know what the was the reinvestigation. If the consumer disputes the final outcome, there's a right to have a statement posted in the uh, in in the uh, consumer report. So it, it's all set out and is very straightforward. And the uh, a, a background firm, a legitimate background firm, will 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 of course want to conduct a reinvestigation because for a background firm, which is a consumer reporting agency, most background firms take the attitude that they also represent the consumer. And, and, and background firms want to get it right as well. So if for some reason there's something in the public records, there's identity theft uh, that led to an incomplete result, it's in, to everyone's benefit to clean that up. Right. Uh, there's, there's, there's no incentive on the part of anybody uh, to, to have a bad background report stay, keeping in mind, again, that companies pay for these background reports, and they pay for the background reports in a situation where they want to hire someone or to promote somebody. They're not trying to find ways to, uh, uh, to, to, for someone to have some negative uh, implication in their life. So the system works when people do what they're supposed to do, and that means when consumers uh, need to look at these reports and, and get back to the background firm if there's anything that's incorrect or incomplete. Well, that's why I, I like your book, the man, your manual, the Safe Hiring Manual, because I think if employers read this, they have a very simple uh, a, learning uh, handbook there that they can learn what they're supposed to do, follow your very simple instructions, and make sure that they use someone who, some organization that is 
a consumer background check company that is going to follow the law, that's going to keep them from getting a person that that's a unscrupulous employee or someone who might hurt their clients or their customers or someone that might steal things from them. So it's very important nowadays, if you're going to have any employees who have access to sensitive information, they may steal that sensitive information and they could hurt you or your customers. So it's very important that you look at what you need to do to be a savvy employer. And as an employee, you want to have that transparency. You don't want to have someone going out and disseminating information about you that is not true so that you would lose your opportunity for employment. Let me ask you something. A lot of these young people are using things, uh, the social networking sites like Facebook and MySpace and Friendster and all these different social networking. What about that? What about employers using those websites to do a background check? Well, it's a great question because that's a real evolving area of the law, and there are not any statutes from the federal government or state governments or any clear-cut cases that really tell us what to do. But we do know from other type of cases uh, what the law may evolve to in this area. So the first thing I would, of course, say to uh, job applicants is that you don't want to be the first one, or the, I should say you don't want to be the last one to know what you left on the Internet. And uh, what you may want to have on your social network site while you're in college may not be what you want employers to have access to. So the first thing that uh, a savvy job applicant will do is go back into their social network site, and if they don't want to clean it up, uh, at least... Uh, they'll set the privacy settings so that no one can get into their site without their permission. Because one, one aspect of this is clear. There's still a debate whether or not just because it's on the Internet uh, is, can employers look at it. And, and there's arguments back and forth. from you know, Some employers take the view, well, if you left it out there for the whole world to see, uh, how can you complain if we see it? The other side of the coin is, is just because I leave my front door open doesn't mean a burglar has the right to go in and steal from me. So... There's this whole idea of what's a reasonable expectation of privacy and, and terms of use and do these various websites even allow employers to use them. And, and those yet are yet to be sorted out, and they'll be sorted out on a case-by-case basis. But, but we tell employers to be very careful about using the Internet. The first problem with using the Internet is, is one we call TMI, too much information. And it has to do with discrimination, where if employers use the Internet and they find things about a person that identifies them as a member of a protected group under federal law or California law, uh, and the person is not considered, does not get the job. There's the suggestion that perhaps there was a discriminatory use of the information. So to prevent that, we tell employers the safest thing to do, if you're looking at a candidate, is to get a consent. And also, if, you're, if you feel a need to look at the Internet, make sure you're looking at the Internet as late in the hiring process as possible to minimize suggestions with the, 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 or the suggestion that perhaps you use things in a prejudicial manner. Um, also, of course, employers need to make sure that they're not uh, using uh, or considering uh, off-duty conduct uh, to make employment decisions, that they're not invading privacy. Uh, that they are looking for things that are valid predictors of job performance, uh, those sort of things. So the, the, it's still an area that's wide open and, and, and also take into, into account the fact that there's a, 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 this, this new phenomenon going, now, going on now called cyber slamming where a person could make up a website about someone else or make up a Facebook site uh, as those from someone else and say horrible things. So you know, defending your online reputation is very important as well. But one thing we can tell employers with some certainty is that they certainly don't want to invade someone's social network site through some sort of subterfuge or some sort of pretext. So, for example, uh, an employer certainly doesn't want to create a fake identity on Facebook just to join someone's region so they can look at them and look at their profile. That would certainly be beyond the pale. Um, but if a person leaves their social networking site completely unprotected, and an employer merely puts in someone's name on the Internet and up comes their networking site, and an employer can walk right in, and there's no barriers to entry, 
then it becomes a little harder for applicants to say that they were the subject of discrimination or, or a violation of privacy. So this area is still being worked out. It's going to be some time for the courts to make decisions. But as a real practical matter for uh, consumers and students is to be advised or to keep in mind that once you go out on the job market that the various social network sites that you're probably using for whatever reason, their privacy settings default to open private to, to an open setting, to a lack of privacy. In other words, you have to affirmatively go into MyFace or Facebook or the other sites and set your privacy settings to a high level in order to keep people out. So if you don't want the world to know about what parties you've been to or, or, or whatever conversations you're having, don't let the world in. And that's a practical uh, uh, way to solve the problem why why courts and legislatures are working these issues out. Do you think that it would make sense if we had maybe as an additional provision of the Fair Credit Reporting Act or whatever, that if, if you're an employer and you use data to do a background check, whether it be cyber data or whether it be you know, from a background checking company, that whatever you use, you must disclose and be transparent with your potential employee? Well, actually, the good news, that's actually part of the current law. If a background firm does it, I don't actually Yeah, know if a that. background, but I'm talking about if, a, if an employer, right. Right. And uh, if a, so just be clear, if a background firm does it, then a background firm would have to recite what they found and report it, and the applicant would see it. If an employer does it themselves, uh, the FCRA does not actually really cover that. In other words, what, an em what employers do, and, and uh, if they're not using a third party, uh, is not actually covered by the Fair Credit Reporting Act. So if, if that's, a, that's a hard one for legislators. On one hand, uh, to tell employers that you have to keep a paper trail of everything you do adds a tremendous burden to business. Um, and so I'm not sure how far that would go. I think the real solution would be for some bright-lined uh, rules as to what's on-limit and off-limit. Right. Uh, and that would probably be the, the, the best way to do it. Now, right. Uh, no state has yet, passed, has yet to pass a law. Uh, but on the other hand, it, it's, if an employer actually runs someone's name on, on, if they happen to Google it or whatever search engine you use, and up comes information about the person, um, and let's say the person has disparaged that company or has disparaged their past employer or has given away trade secrets or has engaged in conduct that's detrimental to the business or contrary to best business interests, or it would obviously be a person that is just inappropriate for that business, then it's hard for the employer to ignore that as well because they have a duty to their shareholders. Uh, they can get sued for, for negligent hiring and so forth. So it's always a balancing test. It's always You're always trying to figure out um, where to actually draw the line between security and privacy and, and so forth. So I, I think the real practice, practical solution for uh, a, a person who's graduating college today and they want to make sure their past doesn't haunt them is just to clear up um, their site or to uh, set the privacy settings. And what we're actually now saying is real clever graduate students are actually creating sites that they want employers to find because they're creating um, uh, social network sites that actually uh, focus in on their employability and uh, are actually... And all the good works they've done. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's almost an online resume. Habitat for the homeless. Of, and yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the volunteer work and, yeah, and sure. their interests and so forth. So it can be a two-edged sword as well. Well, you know, you were talking about cyber slamming a few minutes ago, and I've actually had... Uh, victims who've called me who have been cyber slammed and it could be someone like let's say you're applying for a job and and they know you're applying for a job and they go and they uh, commit identity theft and put up something on some blogging site that that you trash the company and it wasn't even you so that again you know you want that transparency when you were talking about that a company can google you uh, that's one of the things that I was going to suggest is that you Google yourself. You can go into Google and have these uh, alerts and put your own name in. Oh, absolutely. And, and I do that, you know, because sometimes I will see that I've been, maybe I've been quoted in an article that I forgot I even talked to somebody. Or I'll see something that comes up that I didn't even know I was on that person's website. And it's a bit scary until you 
you know, really look there and make sure everything's okay. But it's a good idea to Google yourself and to do the Google alert with any kind, anything that's similar to your name so that if before you go in for a job interview, at least you see what they might see. Well, exactly, and that's why I said before, you don't want to be the last person to know what the Internet says about you. So uh, before you start job hunting, you certainly want to take that advice. Google yourself. Uh, make sure there's nothing uh, untoward on the Internet about you, that there's nothing that's been made up, uh, nothing that you need to preempt at job interviews. If someone has cyber slams you, which could well be criminal, in fact, to actually uh, make, make something up and, in a malicious way just to hurt you, um, certainly that's... that's at least actionable in a civil court if you can find who did it. Um, it's a great idea to make sure that, that you've uh, Googled yourself so you know what the world has to say about you. How about getting a pre-employment background check on yourself? What about doing that before you even apply for a job? Well, there are sites that will do that. Um, and, and the advantage to that is that you might be able to tell if somebody with a similar name as your name will come up. And we all have computer twins these days. There's 330 million Americans. Uh, when you do Google yourself, one of the interesting things that people generally find is that there's more of you than you think. Uh, all of us have computer twins. Right. People with uh, our, first, our same name and uh, same uh, first and last name. Uh, we've even had cases in our office of two people from the same town same name, same date of birth. One was a uh, in prison, and the other wasn't. Oh my goodness! Uh, it's just a, an uncanny uh, mathematical coincidence, but but things like that can happen. And so, and then you get merged files. And you can get merged files, and the records can merge, and you can have a nightmare of things that can happen. If and it's just a matter of being un- unlucky, uh, right. wrong place, wrong time, and like Mr. Lewis, who's just plain unlucky. Right. So the, you can do a background check on your report. There, there are various sites that will do that, and you go on the Internet. You have to be very careful, though, when you go on the Internet. There's a lot of uh, uh, websites out there that are just people that have uh, uh, decided that selling criminal records is just something, another good widget to sell on the Internet. They're not really background screeners or not really interested in human resources or legal compliance. They're just, they're just data salespeople. And some now, of them, and some of them are fraudulent themselves. And you give them their social security number. There were um, quite a few of those that the Federal Trade Commission found a few years ago. Oh, no, oh, absolutely. And and it's it's going online and giving some stranger uh, that that does not have your reputation or you haven't checked out your social security number and your date of birth, which is which is what you need for a background check, is pretty scary as well. So that sort of thing, doing your own background check, you want to be pretty careful about. Typically, uh, a background check should not. Well, it depends whether it requires your social security number or not. If you're doing a back, if you're applying for a job with a legitimate company, um, and it's not online, it's not through a job board because there's been scams in the news of of uh, people posting jobs and job boards, and just in order to fish for social security numbers to commit identity theft. So you really want to make sure it's, a, it's an in-person application with a firm that you can see there for real. At that point, if, if you fill out their forms and you're filling out your social and your date of birth and so forth, uh, then you're pretty safe. But to do anything online is really dangerous um, and uh, it's something obviously we wouldn't recommend. So trying to do a background check yourself, there are companies that offer that. Um, whether it's beneficial or not, the jury is still out. Right. We're speaking this evening with Lester S. Rosen, who's an attorney at law, and he's president of Employment Screening Resources, which you can find out more about him and the company at esrcheck.com, which is a national background screening company located in California. And he is also the author of this book that I just finished reading, which I think is extremely helpful not only to employers, but potential employees, and it's called The Safe Hiring Manual, The Complete Guide to Keeping Criminals, Terrorists, and Imposters Out of Your Workplace. Let's talk a little bit more about privacy and going back to it. What are some of the other privacy rights that a job applicant has when it comes to a background report? Well, another important aspect of the Fair Credit Reporting Act is that only a person with the need to know can actually see the report. So uh, background firms, the background industry uh, has become 
extremely sensitive to the idea uh, that the reports need to be protected. And so, first of all, the employer uh, has to tell us who's going to get the report, uh, why they want the report. There has to be a permissible purpose, which is usually, obviously, business, uh, employment, or retention. Um, there has to be some protection. The employer, at least with our firm and other firms, do the same thing. The, uh, the employer has to agree that they'll uh, protect our reports in terms of who has a password access on their side, who's going to actually see the report. We actually recommend to employers that they not download the report. Once you download the report, uh, there's, if, if there's any paper handling problems in your office or you, you, send, you copy the report and print it and send it to a manager and it's seen in inter-office mail, uh, those are opportunities where privacy could potentially be invaded. So we try and close all those doors. So it's, it's very important for our clients to understand, and they're trained and, and advised uh, to keep the reports confidential and to basically treat a background report in the same way that medical records are treated. They're kept separate. They're kept in the locked cabinet. They're only kept in HR. They're not circulated. People can't see them. Uh, with our particular firm, what we do, if someone should print a report, uh, there's a cover page, and the cover page has no personal identifiable information or no PII on it, uh, just the applicant's name, no date of birth, no social. So, And that's to cover the situation of someone should print a report and it's laying on a desk. We don't want Social Security numbers just being displayed to anyone who might walk into an office. Uh, so generally the best practice is to restrict these reports, make sure it only goes to authorized users with authorized passwords. We change our passwords uh, periodically to make sure that uh, uh, someone else uh, that, that somehow hasn't gotten access to them inside the office. So basically, employers should practice all of the good paper handling practices uh, recommended by privacyrights.org down in San Diego. And we as a background firm do everything we can to make sure uh, that re reports are viewed on a for-your-eyes-only basis, uh, that everything is encrypted, it's uh, 128-bit encryption, it's uh, sent through a secured link, and all of the uh, uh, reasonable technology safeguards to make sure uh, that there's this type of physical privacy as well. Well, what about if the employment background check comes back and the person really is a victim of identity theft? Um, what does your firm do to help the victim? Because that's not an easy thing to do. Oh, it, it, it's very difficult, and we cannot, a background firm cannot actually take the place of an identity theft expert, but what we do is we point people in the right direction, uh, we put them in contact with privacyrights.org and all the resources there, uh, we will talk to the uh, police department, if they will talk to us that had the person, we will request copies of police reports, copies of uh, booking photos, some, some police departments are more cooperative than others. Uh, if it's something that where the police department says, and this is often what they'll do, we only want to talk to your person, uh, then we advise the consumer where to go and what to do, uh, and they physically have to go to the police department with their date of birth and so on and so forth and, and clear it up there. But you're right, it's very difficult. And as a consumer reporting agency, uh, when someone uh, comes to us and says, this is not my criminal record, I was the victim of criminal identity theft, uh, we certainly give them every assistance that we can um, as far as clearing that up. Ultimately, though, it's going to be up to the individual to be proactive and to go to the arresting agency and basically say, you arrested someone with my name, uh, my date of birth, my social, and uh, it's not me. And at that point, uh, typically what we, our experience has been is the police will take the fingerprints of the consumer who presents themselves to the police department compared to the fingerprints of who they have arrested, and then make the determination that way, because there's a biometric that doesn't lie. Right. And that's the, that's the, it becomes the easiest way to clear it up when it's a criminal record. Uh, now, when it comes to a credit report, that's a whole other ball right. of wax. And so if someone has uh, opened up credit in your name and so forth. But, but I should note that credit reports are, um, are increasingly... Um, uh, viewed by employers as more trouble than they're worth. Uh, it's important to keep in mind the credit report that uh, employers, if they get a credit report as part of an employment background check, 
they are not getting a consumer credit report. They're getting a special type of report, which is an employment screening credit report. And that's critical because the employment screening credit report does not have a credit score in it. It also does not have date of birth because of the Age Discrimination Act. It also does not have actual account numbers. It still has a credit history. And so if your credit has been victimized by a criminal, it might still show debts that are owed and collections and all sorts of things. But it's not going to show up in terms of the credit score. So in that circumstance, it doesn't come up very often, but once the employer is told that a person has gone through the proper steps, identify themselves as an identity theft victim. I, I believe you can register with the state and so forth. That employers accept and understand that. Right. Well, when you're a victim of, of criminal identity theft, we did get a law passed a few years ago, and this, this was what I helped introduce after, you know, trying to help Scott Lewis. And that was that we have an identity theft registry so that if you're the victim of criminal identity theft where someone has used your identity to commit crimes, Yes, you go to your, we have a procedure where you go to your own law enforcement agency, you do a live scan of your fingerprints, you have them take a picture, and then you have them send to the other law enforcement agency, whether it's in your state or in another state, and have them compare and say, this isn't me. And then you have to go about talking to, if they're convicted, you have to go to the courts, you have to change the records with the DA. It is just insurmountable. I mean, I've done it with several victims. It's really hard. With a credit report like you were talking about, at least with a credit report, you do have an easier time of correcting. It's, it's still not easy, but it's easier than the criminal identity theft because the criminal identity theft just doesn't go away. And when you were talking about the FBI NCIC, that database is fingerprint-based. So you could be in a background check having a criminal record, but in the NCIC, you're nowhere to be found because your fingerprints don't match. So your name might be there, but the your fingerprints will tell the truth. So in a way, the FBI database is a little bit more... Um, accurate sometimes when it comes to criminal identity theft. So talk about this. Uh, Can employers simply go to the FBI database and get someone's rap sheet? No, absolutely not. Um, An employer can only go to the FBI uh, if they have authorizing legislation, and which means, for example, banks, uh, because uh, of an act of Congress, can go to the FBI database. In California, Schools can go to the FBI database, uh, child care centers, licensed entities. Uh, but your average private employer uh, absolutely cannot go to the FBI database. And uh, that, that's one of the sort of the misnomers about background screening, that you only just go to the FBI database. Uh, there, the, the letter you referred to at the very top of the hour uh, happened to be a letter to the Department of Justice when they were talking about proposals to make the FBI database more accessible um, to employers. And um, the, my, my letter to, to the Department of Justice pointed out that actually that would act as a disservice to applicants because so much of the FBI database uh, are arrests that cannot be considered because a number of state laws, such as California, can't consider an arrest. Uh, it's, it's, there's problems with mismatching identities. There's problems with completeness and accuracy. So... Um, so on one hand, going to the FBI database may be of some assistance when it comes to identity theft. On the other hand, uh, by and large, I, I think consumers would feel uh, that it's starting to feel a little bit like Big Brother if employers could willy-nilly go to the FBI database. So again, this becomes a very complicated area. Uh, but when it comes to criminal identity theft, you're absolutely right. There's the California Registry in California. Other states have resources. Um, it, it, it's tough, it's difficult if you're an identity theft victim. Um, but one of the interesting things, as I mentioned before, is that through our background checks, a uh, number of times we were the first way that a person knew that a problem occurred. Right. We'd come up with a criminal record, and they would say, wait, that's not me. And then we'd work with them, we'd pull the court records, and uh, the court records would show that a person with their name and their date of birth uh, wasn't in fact arrested, and that would be their first uh, trigger 
or their, their first indication that something was amiss, and, um, and they were able to do something about it, because if we found it, presumably it would be found again. Exactly. Um, and uh, that was uh, really helped them uh, along, along their career path to clear it up uh, right then and there. Well, let's talk a little bit about what if you have an arrest record, and, but there's been no conviction. What about that? Well, California, uh, that's a state-by-state issue. Uh, under the federal law, the FCRA, a background firm is allowed to report an arrest going back as far as seven years uh, on federal level. But many states have their own rules, and California, under Labor Code Section 432.7, says that any case that was an arrest only uh, that did not result in a conviction cannot be reported. Now, if it's a pending case, that's something different. So California protects applicants from an arrest being used against them. Um, and, and by the way, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission takes a similar approach. Their approach is that an arrest is an, a uh, police officer's opinion only. It has not been substantiated. Uh, by any sort of factual finding. There's been no adjudication. And so even in those states that would allow an arrest, uh, the EEOC disfavors an arrest being utilized unfairly uh, without, uh, without really knowing all of the facts. So here in California, a, a background firm, a legitimate background firm, would not report the arrest. Now, some of these online services that are just data vendors where you put in your dollar and outcomes data, uh, and there's no there there, there's no professional looking at the information, may in fact report an arrest. And, and there you have an employer who now uh, you know, paid just a couple bucks for the information, but now they have a potential lawsuit in their hands. In fact, in California, it's a misdemeanor for an employer to utilize an arrest record for which there's been no conviction. So... From the employer's point of view, it's yet another reason to, to make sure that you understand that background screening is a professional service. It's not just a, a data vending service. And from the consumer's point of view, um, you um, have the right to not to have that considered against you, and nor do you need to say in an application that you've been arrested. Right. What about if you were convicted of a crime? Let's say, you know, you got convicted of marijuana use or something. Um, aren't people given a chance to kind of get that behind them? Maybe they did something wrong when they were in their 20s, and now they're trying to get back into the workforce. What's your advice to someone who has been convicted of a crime, and they're trying to get back into the workforce? Is there any way that they can do that when this conviction is going to be right in their face? Well, the first thing we recommend is that if you do have a criminal conviction, go see an attorney and understand what your rights are. Now, let's say, for example, that your past conviction was minor marijuana use over two years ago. Well, under California law, that's been decriminalized, and that specifically is something that a professional background firm would not report, and you would be within your rights on an application if they ask you about a criminal record to say, no, you have no criminal record. Uh, so you can clear up with an attorney exactly what your rights are. But let's say, for example, it's something a bit more serious. Maybe it wasn't just uh, personal use of marijuana. Maybe for whatever reason, someone in college did something silly. They actually sold some drugs, and they got arrested, and it came down to a possession with intent to sell uh, or possession of a, of a more serious drug for personal use. Um, and it wasn't diverted, it wasn't a judicial set-aside, there wasn't a delayed entry of judgment, or, or some of these judicial workarounds, which also would get you out of the system. At that point, you then want to ask your lawyer, can I do a judicial set-aside? Uh, can this be expunged? Uh, and, and that may be a way around it. If it's even a more serious criminal matter that can't be expunged, and, and you're stuck with it, it may be beyond the seven years. Uh, California... Uh, is a state that has a strict seven-year rule. Uh, it's a funny seven-year rule. It's, 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 if you've gone seven years without being in custody, uh, then there's a forgiveness period. So if you were convicted eight years ago and you haven't been in custody for the past seven years, uh, under California, if a firm uses a background firm, a background firm cannot report that. So it, it becomes a little complex based upon the, the exact facts. 
let's take the worst case scenario. Let's say someone was accused of embezzlement or, or theft or, or, or something serious, and it's within the past seven years, and, and, uh, or, or something, let's say, welfare fraud. A uh, person was way down on their luck, and they had a couple kids, and, and, and they stole not for any horrible personal gain. They had to feed their family. Uh, what do you do? Well, at that point, and you see the lawyer, you see if you can legally uh, answer, you don't have a conviction, you see if you can set it aside, and if you're really stuck with it, if it's really a, uh, this millstone around your neck, and you have this scarlet senior for his, his criminal, and you know that if you go into an employer and you say you're a criminal, you're going to have a hard time getting a job, you, you then can think, well, maybe I'll just lie about it. Well, generally, honesty is the best policy, and most employers will find out about it, and what we have discovered from talking to lots of employers, that employers may be willing to hire somebody with an explainable criminal record that doesn't really affect the job, but they're almost never willing to hire someone who lied. So at that point, we really recommend you look at community resources. Are there jobs you can get with a criminal record? Um, you may not be able to get the job you want. Is there any job you can get? Can you get any job at all? Uh, we often tell uh, people, uh, individuals with criminal records, and this may not be what they want to hear, is if nothing else, work in the fast food industry. They need people. Uh, they're not going to turn you down for a criminal record if you make a good appearance. And it may not be your dream job. It may not be what you're trained for. It may not be what you want. But, but keep in mind the long-run view of things, that five or six years from now, you're going to want that good job. And five or six years will pass no matter what you do. And so five or six years later... If you're able to show uh, that you have a good job history and good recommendations, uh, over time we see that the criminal record becomes less important than who you are. So there's no question about it. You definitely have two strikes against you if you have a criminal record and you're trying to get a job. And, and I think we all agree uh, that this country has a huge incentive to putting everyone to work, particularly people with criminal records. Uh, there's a statistic that says one of every 32 people in America have some sort of criminal record. We cannot obviously have a permanently unemployed class uh, of, of, of people with criminal records because we need everyone to be taxpaying law-abiding citizens. Uh, when we send people to jail, they were costing $30,000 a year. Uh, and, and at some point, you, you can't build more jails than you build hospitals and schools. So the real issue, what we do as a society with folks with criminal records, and, and New York, for example, is a, good, is a good example of the state who passed some very interesting laws in February of this year that basically said you cannot automatically not hire someone because of a criminal record until you take into account a number of factors. Uh, what was the nature of the criminal record? What's the nature of the job? What type of rehabilitation have they gone through? How long ago was the criminal record? And an employer who goes through that analysis and hires someone anyway is then protected in case that that decision backfires and they're sued for negligent hiring. So the you know employers have a stake in getting everyone employed uh, applicants. However, sometimes uh, if they have a criminal record, uh, we'll just have to you know the reality is you mean you're going to have to rebuild your career slowly. The good news is that in California, if you could spend seven years uh, building up a good resume uh, in whatever job you can find, even though it's not your ideal job, even though it's not what you're trained for, um, seven years from now, and seven years will come no matter what. Um, that, that record then falls off and, and disappears for the most part. Great. The, the, the details, it depends on the, each person's details. Right. But, well, uh, you know what? It's time. I can't believe it. Well, I'm going to tell everybody to go to your website. Why don't you give that to us right now? Yes. Uh, please visit us at www.esrcheck.com. That stands for Employment Screening Resources, ESR, and the word check.com. And under the article section, um, these, these uh, topics that we uh, talk about in a little bit, they're, they're talked about in much more detail. Great and stuff. And they can also get the Safe Hiring Manual and look at that and, and see how to safely hire and also how to protect themselves as an employee. So thank you so much. We think you're terrific, Lester, and we'll have you back again. Good evening. Thank you very much. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Also visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy where you can see our upcoming guests, listen to archived interviews, download podcasts, 
and write us emails about what you're interested about privacy in the information age. Thank you. Stay private. Good night. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.